are listening to Spitball with Andrew Paul Hope Mellows and Marcus Innuendo Bingo Henson. Hello and welcome to episode 51 of Spitball. I'm your host, Adri Bullhawk Mallows, and joining me this week, as always, is the ever-present and ultimate of co-hosts, Marcus Innuendo Bingo Henson. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm good. Yes, thank you. Good, good. And how's your week been, buddy? Oh, I don't know. Slur, very slur. But uh, a good week for us, uh, especially at the weekend, as obviously October in full swing now and the Pinktober NFL Crucial Catch campaign continues, we partook in a little Pinktober awareness match ourselves, didn't we, between the Aylesbury Vale Spartans and the Northampton Phantoms. How was that for you? Oh, it was great to get back playing football again. Uh, you, you don't realise just how much you miss it until you start playing again. Yeah, and I think all in all, it was a great day. Four hours we spent up in Northampton, and I want to say a big thank you again to everyone at the Northampton Phantoms. Uh, Toby, Amy, John, unfortunately, I know you couldn't be there, but thank you for organising, and we look forward to the game against you in Aylesbury this coming Sunday. With that said... Let us crack on with the show. You are listening to Spitball. So now we go to our game reviews for week six. Got a a few games in mind I want to talk about, Marcus. But before I go through my usual selection, are there any that you would like to talk about specifically? One that I want to really talk about is just... uh is the San Diego-Oakland game because it sort of stuck out to me, actually, as a bit of a... Well, I thought watching San Diego absolutely tear apart the Jets last week, I assumed we'd have pretty much the same this week. Yeah, and you would be right to assume that, I think. And and San Diego in general have been playing some good football and perhaps better football than maybe their their record would suggest, especially with that big win against Seattle earlier in the season as well. And then coming into Oakland for a division game, um, but also the first game in charge of Oakland for Tony Sperano. Now, a few people may remember him from when he was in charge down in Miami, but what did you make of his first game? It was definitely an improved Raiders team. um, Not sure what he's done, what he's coming and uh, shaking up, but it's worked because, I mean, you saw it from that first series where just the, the spreading of the field... You were there at Wembley as well. You saw how how condensed the Raiders played. And then suddenly it's almost like they just opened up the playbook and then allowed the shots downfield to happen. And first drive, I think it's about the third play of the game. And boom, it's down the field and Holmes is gone. Further as well is that the development of David Carr, everyone knew he had this arm. That's why you drafted him. I, I hate to be that guy, but David would be his brother, um, oh. You did, of course, mean Derek Carr, who, yes, did have a, a great game. He had his four touchdowns, 282 yards. It ended up being a real close game with, with San Diego in the end. Also completing 18 out of 34 
passes. He had one interception, but in your words, we don't need to worry about that, do we? <laughs> well, the thing that really stood out to me was the fact that he wasn't sacked. That Oakland actual offensive line managed to keep him upright for the entire game. Yeah, very much so. And that's a big part of the game, isn't it? You know, I, I harp on all the time about how the game's won and lost in the trenches because Buffalo's big problem Hey, and you'll see like how I got to a link to Buffalo there. Buffalo's biggest problem at the moment is we've got a great O-line when it comes to rushing, but we just can't keep a quarterback on their feet or, or give him enough time so the fact that Oakland gave up no sacks is, is always going to give any quarterback the opportunity to make some plays down the field that drive in the battle as well trying to on the reverse side with the uh, defensive line trying to create that pressure just to disrupt the quarterback and the offense itself it just seemed that what we'd seen is that we'd seen quite a dominant San Diego um, defensively over these first couple of weeks and even though they did shut down Oakland for good portions of the game I was surprised at how comfortable they they let Derek, got the right name this time, Carr, actually remain. I thought, perfect time is to try and send more blitzes. That's what I didn't quite get. The the blitz packages were perfectly picked up. And this is also an Oakland offensive line, which is shot to injuries. And it still managed to find its way to sort of not lose its composure. Yeah, now I'm just going to want to flip on to San Diego, actually, while we talk about this game. Just to come on and say... It was obviously Brandon Oliver's first start, their fourth choice running back at the start of the season, coming in because of the the injuries they've got there. And all things said, I think he had a great first game, getting over 100 yards in his first game, 101 yards exactly, uh, and a touchdown as well on just 26 carries. Yeah, exactly. And it's also the ability to catch, which, you know, that very Sproles-esque nature that he brings back to San Diego with the utility back being able to um, both catch and run that for me sort of opened up that sort of exterior game with because we know Floyd and Royal are absolute speed machines and they will stretch your field and you've got Gates who's an ever presence in the center but it's 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 that sort of check down running back that you could use when the passing game is, is being utilised. But also you can just allow him to... Because he had 26 carries as well, so it's quite a heavy workload for, for your first start as well. I'm glad you actually mentioned Malcolm Floyd there because I did have done... I wanted to talk about the Malcolm Floyd 44-yard catch, um, which I thought was, was quite a, an epic catch myself. But um, also wondering if, firstly, if you saw that catch and also if you wanted to... Put it in the show notes as part of the mind. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, um, yeah, he's 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 underrated, really. I feel um, Floyd. So the fact is, he's not really. You know, if I ask for a, a top grade receiver, however, as someone you normally think of, say the young bright star in, in Allen, because um, of course he had a great year last. Yeah, and he's he's sort of moulding into that sort of receiver. But don't forget they've got real veterans there in Floyd and Royal, and that's what veterans do. They they perform and make catches like that. And it also helps when the likes of Keenan Allen are drawing away a lot of the coverage as well to then allow the one-on-one coverage against Floyd and Floyd to go up there and make some fantastic catches like he did. So we'll leave that game there. Thinking on along the lines of fantastic receivers, going to come along to the Chicago-Atlanta game, which had four of the game's greatest receivers at the moment, I would say. Not of all time, just that are currently playing. In Olshon Jeffrey and Brandon Marshall for the Bears. The Bears! Ah, the Bears! 
Yes. And also on the Atlanta side, uh, Julio Jones and Roddy White. So some fantastic receiving talent on show in this game, Marcus. Really, that was it came down to uh, the first two there you mentioned, you know, Jeffrey and Marshall and their ability to link up with Cutler was phenomenal. Yeah, both of them having fantastic games, both of them getting over 100 yards, Marshall getting 113 yards, uh, Jeffrey getting 136 yards in total um, and just finding ways to to stretch that defense and and a defense that's really really leaky this season it's quite scary really as to um, how bad that defense is playing and in general it seems at the moment just how bad Atlanta themselves are playing yeah and of course everyone says that when they're at home inside the dome as well they're untouchable but that myth got completely blown out of the water we've just mentioned actually the fact that it's one in the trenches and I'd have to put that down to almost that tonight as well. The fact that Ryan didn't look comfortable. He was sacked a good sort of four or five times. And there was no run game established because of the back of that. Because you then you can't establish a run. Then they're starting to chase the game because they're double digits down at half time. So you're forced to throw and become one dimensional. And that never helps anybody because as soon as you start to get one dimensional, the defence... What's the the term I'm looking for? I believe the defence pin their ears back, don't they? And just go after the quarterback with with all kind of blitz packages. So um, never going to be an easy time for for quarterbacks to to come back from that, especially if they're getting drops on their backside every time. It just seemed that Atlanta had no presence in mind and no time for Ryan to even secure a check down. I don't know what's going on with them at the moment, to be honest with you. I'm kind of, I'm a little bit lost for words almost as to how to describe Atlanta this year and, and certainly how they're playing at the moment. Because I thought, well, we, we said a couple of weeks ago about how they had some big injuries on the offensive line with, with losing Jake Matthews and, and losing another one of their guards. But they were actually playing in this game. Well, certainly Jake Matthews was, as far as I'm aware. Um, and their injury report didn't seem to be too bad. So, again, I really don't know what's happening with Atlanta down there. But could you see, and I hate to talk about this this early because it ultimately is people's livelihoods as well, but could you see the end of the road for Mike Smith maybe if, if this kind of bad run of form continues? Yes, because, I mean, that's got to be, what, two or three now dropped on the trot. So they now dropped to two and four. It's 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 not too late to sort of make a rectable season out of this. You can probably pull back to eight and eight at this point. But at the same time, you've got to sit there and go, the sooner that you, you work out whatever this funk you're in and get yourself out of this rut, the better. I mean, I think he'll get till the end of the season. I don't think there's any doubts in that. They'll, they'll definitely give him till the end of the season to try and figure things out but I'm just thinking that if they've got a losing record or don't make it to the playoffs uh, come the end of the season then I'm thinking he's going to because I don't think they made the playoffs last year did they? No no nowhere near yeah so two bad seasons on a trot for a team like Atlanta I think uh, it probably will be time for for a coaching change there which is obviously really harsh to say but unfortunately a reality of the business but let's um, move on to another <laughs> Brucey Dyer team, and that is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, as they took on the Baltimore Ravens. Now, uh, you were rounded for the start of Red Zone on, on Sunday, Marcus, and <laughs> I don't think either of us could believe what, what was happening. Every every couple of minutes, it seemed like we were shooting back to, to that Baltimore-Tampa Bay game for an update, and Joe Flacco was throwing yet another touchdown. My mercy me, if you had Flacco in your fantasy team, you lucky dog this week. Yeah, five touchdowns in the first half it's it was it was just everything that was going right because of course you looked at it and I don't think it wasn't until about the second quarter that he had an incomplete pass that's ridiculous isn't it really when you think about it this is the same Tampa Bay team that upset Pittsburgh a few weeks ago 
and now they look like they've done that U-turn back to just being a little bit sort of, how, how do I put this, um, gimmicky. And what do we think we would put that down to, though? Because we know they do have a great coach in Lovey Smith, um, and is it just a case of he's he's only been there for, what, four or five months now, and this season's always going to be a bit shaky, but come next year when he's had a chance to do a full rebuilding job off of off of a couple of drafts, do we think that maybe next year they'll actually look like a promising team and, and look like they're going to do something in that NFC South division? The problem with, with this year is there's twofold. It's no sense of a secondary um, is one problem. And two is, again, same problem we were talking about. There's no offensive line there, leaving Glennon no time. Because, of course, Glennon as well, they sort of, wasn't quite the starting back and they've all swapped around with the whole McCown and such. Uh, but the fact is he again had about four or five sacks and was just being forced to throw the ball away. And there was no gains in that first half. Uh, it just seemed that it wasn't until the second half when they something finally clicked, they could actually start progressing down the field. Yeah, and I think coming back to, to Glenn, I don't think there's any doubt that Glennon is the first choice quarterback there, right? I mean, for a rookie season last year, he didn't really do that bad a job, did he? I don't think. I think Glennon should have been the starter from the beginning. Now, of course, we know that McCown coming in to the, the sort of Lovey Smith run offense, it's the kind of, I've worked with this guy before, I'm bringing him in to be my starter. I wasn't too sure about that. I think, yes, he did have an all right, thing, uh, all right season sort of filling in, um, for Cutler, but I think you should have progressed with Glennon's learning and his actual progressions itself as that starting quarterback. There's no point then taking him back off, letting him have to re- rethink himself. And that was really, for me, mm, not too sure about. Though you saw in the second half, when he had some protection, when he kind of found his rhythm and found was able to, to pick apart the weaker links within the uh, Baltimore defence... You could see that there is this definite potential there. I just, I just feel it needs to be encased with the right framework around it. Now he's got the receivers in um, Jackson Evans, and of course we saw Murphy really establish himself. But for me, it's, it's a case of that offensive line. Again, we've talked about it in all three of these games now. It's the trenches that win this battle for you and will inevitably lead to winning the game. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll, we'll leave the, the Tampa Bay side of things there. But one thing I did want to talk about before we move on to the next game is Steve Smith Sr. What another great game for him. 110 yards, another touchdown. He's doing wonders for my fantasy team. So glad I managed to, to pick him up. But he's just showing in Baltimore that he's still got plenty left in the tank. And, and you do wonder now why Carolina got rid of him. He's found an absolute new lease of life there. And I think really, in in respect to that, it, it is that case of, you know, he is thriving with all those pieces around him. And he's being found as that star receiver. So he's getting that primary slot. Yeah, you have to wonder what happened at Carolina to lose such a, a valuable offensive weapon. Yeah, maybe it was, uh, I don't know, he did quite often have a few choice words to say about Cam Newton, didn't he? So maybe there was more to that than meets the eye. Before we digress too much, let us actually come on to the Carolina versus Cincinnati game. Uh, Another great game that went all the way through overtime, (laughs) surprisingly. Um, But what did you make of the the Carolina-Cincinnati game, Marcus? I relish these sort of really close games. These are are some of my favourite, these are. A couple of things from it. Cam Newton, 
definitely came out and showed that he may be starting to find some form again. He managed to get his first rushing touchdown of the season. We got to see the old Superman celebration, which I'm sure that the Carolina faithful have been missing for a while. All in all, great game for him. Yeah, he did. He did sort of show himself back up to what he can do. It was one of those ones where I, I wouldn't have expected him to do it against the Cincy defense, which I regard as quite a decent defense. But for, for me, offensive decent defense on both sides of the ball, it was just complete and utter slog match. It was it was punch after punch against each other. But every time you thought one had the upper hand, it just came back and just flipped itself. Yeah, and there's a few. And I know quite often this season you said that you think Cincinnati are the most complete team in the league at the moment. And I think that shows with, with some of the, the stat lines I'm about to, to come across now is uh, with Gio Bernard, he had an 89-yard uh, rushing touchdown you had Sanu, who had over 120 yards receiving and a touchdown. And not to forget special teams with uh, Adam Jones having his sort of 90-plus yard kickoff return, a, a very, very crucial part in the game as well. It was all those sort of pieces sort of put in place. You can definitely tell that the components are right. Now, I'm not sure what it is because, of course, now this has put Bengals in a tricky spot because, of course, they were 3-0 and then dropping to the Patriots and now this tie. Now, of course, they had the chance to win it. Well, they had a couple of chances to win it, to be fair, didn't they? They had the first possession in overtime, which they ended up kicking a field goal from. Uh, and then at the end of overtime as well, they had another chance to win it with a field goal. So, for me, it was it was, it was more, I think, in this case, the Bengals lost this game, lost more from this game than, say, the Panthers did. Um, but at the same time, you have to sit there and go, both these teams, because, of course, Carolina now, you know, still sitting pretty on the top of uh, the South. And it really does sort of, it stands a testament to the fact that the league, the league's got tougher and there are greater matchups like this to be had. Now, of course, we were just talking about an absolute drubbing by Baltimore a moment ago. But the fact is the league can then flip over and then have such a close fought game within the same week. Yeah, I mean, even the game between the, the Denver Broncos and the New York Jets, one which we we all thought that the Broncos were, were going to be uh, walking all over the Jets, but that was really, really close, right down until sort of late in the third quarter, fourth quarter, before Denver managed to, to open up and get that two-touchdown lead to win. Just in, up until the pick six, really, wasn't it? But um, back to this one, no, at no point did I really believe that either of them would like have this game in the bag. At no point did I sit there and go, oh, Caroline's got this. Oh, oh now Bengals going to win from now. So for me, it's it's that ability to keep you on the edge of your seat constantly. Yeah, the Love mo- it. momentum swinging uh, both ways. So, uh, wow, uh, listen to me coming out with, with all the innuendos this week. Maybe I end up changing my name to innuendo as well. This could be quite carnage. The last game I want to talk about is the Thursday night football game between the Indianapolis Colts and the Houston Texans. The first place to start in this game has to be J.J. Watt, defensive end for the Houston Texans. I mean, this guy is playing some ridiculous football at the moment. And I ask, like many others are, Marcus, is he the best player in football at the moment? It's absolutely crazy, isn't it? This guy is six foot five, two hundred eighty-nine pounds of just pure muscle. Um, and just 100% commitment. It's amazing the fact of what he can do. The pressure he managed to build just through his ability to rush the ball. I mean, at one point, he should have also had an interception, really, the way he anticipated Luck's throw and just yes. bounced straight off his hands. But then the big the big play of the, um, the return for 45 yards and 
Um, I don't know if you were you you watched it back and you saw that they actually put a speedometer on how fast he ran, and it was something silly like it, it got to like seventeen miles an hour or something silly like that. He was actually full pacing it. That's ridiculous for a guy his size. <laughs> that that really is that is ridiculous for a guy that's nearly three hundred pounds to be running at sort of seventeen eighteen miles an hour. Your average to put it into context, your average speed on a on a bike is sort of about 12, 15 mile an hour on a push bike. So for someone to be running faster than that <laughs> in full pads, weighing nearly 300 pounds, it's just obscene. And uh, yeah, I mean, I may come on to, to more things he achieved in this match uh, a bit later in the show. So let's talk about other components from that match. How about the cheeky onside kick recovery by uh, Pat McAfee of the Indianapolis Colts? They score a field goal, go 3-0 up, and then kick an onside kick, which is recovered by the kicker. And it was quite funny because actually all the um, the commentators were saying, these guys have had the most attempts at, at onside kicks, and you know why isn't it in your game plan to keep that in mind? But I love this actual this moment because watching this back with someone who's just newly getting into American football and they saw it immediately turned to me and just go can he do that <laughs> so for me just to turn around and say yes that is genius is just completely what it was it was it, that that's how you game plan and you manage yourself to beat your opponent you, you sit there and you know that when a momentary weakness is shown you exploit it yeah, so again, I, I think, do we have to put that then in the mind blowers? In the- <laughs> yes, in the show notes. Um, some some more from, from the game, of course. Um, before I come into some things that the Texans need, a big game for, for T.Y. Hilton. I was hoping it would be Reggie Wayne, bearing in mind I'd put him in my fantasy team this week, but no, it was T.Y. Hilton who had 223 yards and a touchdown off of just nine receptions. Whenever Luck needed a big play, he was the go-to guy. The small guy from Florida Atlantic doing it, um, doing it all right. I mean, the fact is, yeah, he's, he's not exactly big guys. I checked it out. He's uh, five nine, about one hundred and eighty pounds, if that. So he really is so nippy. And the fact is that he managed to just exploit his speed against any size that was matched up against him um, from the defense. And yeah, it definitely seems to be at the moment. There's some rapport going on with him um, and Luck because the last couple of weeks they've just been syncing up right. Yeah, and actually, just going back through my notes real quick, I just suddenly realised that something I forgot to mention, and that is that after the first quarter, the Colts were 24 nil up. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's just amazing to think how, how well the Texans did to get himself back in the game. But a lot of that, as we just said before, was on the back of J.J. Watt. Um, Andre Johnson also managed to have uh, a reasonable game as well as uh, Arian Foster. But more importantly and more more worryingly for me is the fact that Ryan Fitzpatrick is their starting quarterback there. I don't... I never understood the season... Uh, sorry, I never understood the decision at the start of the season. I still don't understand it now. Why? <laughs> Why? Is Ryan Fitzpatrick the Texans starting quarterback and what are they going to do to solve that problem? <laughs> no, to be fair, they, he's not the, the, the worst quarterback to have in there. Again, the problem is, we've, we've harped on about it all night, is the fact is that without the protection, that offensive line is so leaky 
I mean, again, this t- five or six sacks, it was stupid. Constantly trying to, I mean, it is his fault because he is a bit like Big Ben where he will hold on to the ball for too long. But at the same time, you've got to give him that time for to allow the receivers to get downfield, to try and shake it, shake um, the coverage off and get open. Um, but, and of course, we saw... We, we, I just want to cut into it, but, but with him, you don't necessarily have to do that because one of the big things they worked on in Buffalo was because Fitzpatrick has got such a... Uh, innuendos everywhere. But Fitzpatrick's got a quick release, so you don't necessarily need the offensive line to be providing four or five seconds worth of protection because Fitzpatrick, when he was at his prime and, and getting his big money contracts with us, um, he was getting the ball out really quickly within one or two seconds and, and finding receivers, even if it was taking a shot downfield as well. Yes, um, I agree. But I still think there's something wrong there because, of course, Foster managed to have a great game. Um, but at the same time, I, I felt that in that first half, they couldn't actually get themselves because it, it was free and outs all to go for in that first sort of that first quarter because they were just absolutely getting blown away with the fact that once they finally got possession that they just couldn't make anything from it. They were just free and out, free and out, and it wasn't until the sort of second quarter that they started. To, I don't know what happened. Maybe at um, at that the interval they managed to sort of work out a way, but the the reads and progressions didn't quite open up as I thought they would because, of course, there wasn't really that that much in uh, a deep threat. I think that the longest throw was about 30, 35 yards for the entire night for Houston. So there was no real deep threat and presence there. So it's all underneath. So that, that was another thing that concerned me is that the fact is if you can't even complete the underneath routes, then surely there's not enough time there if you can't even complete the underneath stuff. You do raise an excellent point as always, and I think what the best thing for us to do is to leave that there and see what our listeners out there think of that. So remember... Hey guys, if you want to get a hold of Audrey or Marcus, send them an email at ballhawksnest at gmail.com. Okay, and on that, we move on with the show. Newton has some time. Now he's flushed out, starts to run, he has knocked down. Here comes the rush. Heads left, they got him again. They sack him in Super Mario. Mario Williams with his second sack of the game. Dropped by Cam Newton from a well-formed pocket. Anchors it end zone, and it's caught. Touchdown, Ted Ginn, Jr. You having fun? That's what it's all about. We've reached that point in the show again where I ask, what's been grinding your gears this week, Marcus? You know what really grinds my gears? Teams are unable to finish the drive when they come down into the red zone and they end up with three points. This week especially, we saw a lot of missed field goals from distances that would have been that sort of 40, 30 yards that you'd say you should be finishing drives, settling up, not settling for three points, then missing them. It seems a lot of the sort of game, I don't know what's happening because there was a lot of there's a lot of blocked kicks as well going on this week. I think there was two blocked kicks this week. So the reason being is that why are teams so suddenly unable to perform when it comes to these sort of intermediate kicks? Now, we understand that the deep kicks aren't always fishing in the outside environment aren't always going to make it. You're 50 plus yards, you're always taking a guess, but you're always playing off that field advantage from it. However, when you're still, stalled your drive coming close to the red zone and the fact you're settling for free from this position and then you're actually having to walk away with no points or maybe missing the opportunity to lead in the game or win the game, 
it doesn't seem to make sense that suddenly this special teams itself, hefty chunk of a, a critical part of the game, is suddenly being disregarded, and we're having so many mistakes all of a sudden. I don't know what the, what's going on exactly in Detroit. Because I thought we might know, come on to that. There, they've had more miss. Thought we were coming on to that. Uh, they've had more more missed field goals so far. Four of fourteen. More missed field goals than they had all of last season. There seems to be some reason that have teams forgotten how to take a, a, an actual kick? What is going on, guys? It's infuriating me because it should just be the bread and butter of the team. So that is what's going on in my gears. Um, and just quickly coming back to that, when you say 4 of 14, that's how many they've made, right? 4 out of 14 attempts. Yes, sorry, yes. Yeah, they have got 4 field goals out of 14 field goal attempts this season. That is... That's obscene. That really is obscene. And and of course, their new kicker prayed to miss a couple this weekend, didn't he? So something is seriously wrong. Is it down to the kickers at this point in the season? When you think that they're on their, what, third or fourth kicker of the year and a well-respected kicker as well, to be fair, do you, do you think it's down to the kicker there? Or at this point in the season, do you say it's got to be that snapper-holder combination. I'm not sure, because you're, you're sitting there and you're going, right, so wait a minute, is, the fir- is it the third kick or the fourth kicker they've got? It is at least the third kicker they've got, because they've had Alex Henry, um, and they had someone before that as well. So you're saying that three guys are missing kicks. I'm, I'm, I don't know, I'm not sure whether or not it's... I don't know whether it's a not as well, when you get to the point where you've got pressure of taking the field goal, and then you've got added pressure. The fact is that so many field goals have gone wrong and it's on your shoulders now not to miss anymore. So we're not sure what it is, but it could be a combination of, of all of the above, basically. Pretty much. But still, it's not just them. You're looking around the league, the amount that we saw, we mentioned it earlier, with the Cincinnati-Carolina game. Then there was another, we've got Green Bay-Miami. We've got San Diego-Oakland. We had Tennessee-Jacksonville. There is missed field goal opportunities all around this week, and I'm not sure what was going on, but everyone forgot how to take a field goal this week. Well, not everyone, but a majority you know what I mean. Of them, yeah. <laughs> the majority of teams managed to forget how to uh, mess up a bread and butter play. Well, they the didn't forget how to mess it up. They remembered how to mess it up. They just couldn't remember how to do it. <laughs> I think that's what you were trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's it, it's so contagious. I messed up mentioning about their mess up. Yeah, and on that note, we uh, move on. <laughs> Who are you? I don't even know your name. What's your name? Jimmy. Turn around. Let me see your name. Jimmy. Turn around. Let me see your name. Turn, turn around. I don't know you, bro. You're having one of those days. Hey, baby. You're having one of those days. I say that to say this. And you wouldn't have did what you would have did. Then we wouldn't have been where we was at to get what we got. That just don't make no sense, dog. Marcus, put your shoe on. Put it on. Jeez. I can't face with these clothes. <laughs> I think I trim my tooth. I wish I had some gold so you can bite me some teeth. Now we come to my favourite part of the show, and that is our weekly awards. That is our offensive impact. Player. Otherwise known as the award named after Calvin Johnson of the Detroit Lions. And we also have our defensive impact player named of course aptly the mr award for the great former linebacker of the baltimore ravens so marcus i always make a mistake when i do this but 
I'm going to let you go first and also pick which direction we head first. Offense, defense, where do we go? Uh, I shall start off then um, with a little bit of offense. Okie dokies, go for it, buddy. Take it away. So my runner-up this week for the... Offensive impact player. And goes to, and I begrudge this, but still, Colin Kaepernick, quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah, yeah, NFC West beating my NFC West team. Why, I order. Is that what you were saying? Why, I order. <laughs> Pretty much. But you can't fault the guy for a, an outstanding performance and one that you really need to have to sort of get back into a very formidable um, defensive game played by the Rams. But anyway, it's 343 yards for him with three touchdowns, uh, no interceptions, and a pretty tasty 37 yards on the ground as well. Ah, so it was a good-looking run then, is that what you're saying? The tasty 37 yards there. Nice. Well, I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna stick with the quarterback theme and my runner-up, I've actually gone someone we've we mentioned earlier in the show, and that is young rookie Derek Carr of the Oakland Raiders. I thought he had a fantastic week this week. Um, showed the difference that a quarterback can make when he when he's given time and, and the opportunity to make some plays. And uh, obviously, as we said, 282 yards, four touchdowns, and an interception, which we're not too worried about, are we, Marcus? Woo! <laughs> <laughs> so, how about your winner? Right. So, my winner this week, uh, another person we've we've mentioned before, and it's going to go to. C.Y. Hilton, wide receiver, Indianapolis Colts. Ah, you went with the easy choice this week. Ah, disgraceful behaviour. You had all day to pick a winner and you went with the easy choice. Why, uh, yada. (laughs) Yeah, but for me, it was the fact is luck threw the ball to him nine times. He caught it every single time, 223 yards and a touchdown. For me, it was was just great to see how he's immersed himself, um, that smaller, uh, faster wide receiver, to create that impact, whereas, of course, like you said, the focus might be on Wayne, so stepping up when they need him. Fair enough. Now, what I need you to do is make sure you're sitting down before I, I announce my winner for the week. And no, Mark, I'm not uh, chickening out on going out with 11 players. Uh, my winner of the award this week is... Tony Romo of the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, I never thought I would hear myself saying that, but I think credit where, where credit's due this week. Again, we saw some great escapability, unlike my pronunciation, uh, in a couple of the plays, in particularly a big play on third and 20, uh, where he managed to escape the rush and throw a, uh, a rocket pass out to the sideline where he was helped by a fantastic catch uh, from Terence Williams, which I'm going to put in the show notes, I'm afraid, without even asking you on that one, Marcus. But you know why you've seen that catch, you understand, um, as all our listeners will as well when they check out the show notes. But obviously 21 of 32 for Tony Romo, 250 yards, two touchdowns. But I just think we are starting to see... That Tony Romo, we've been talking about it a little while now, that old Tony Romo, the reason why the Cowboys wanted Tony Romo, the fact that he can extend the plays when it when most quarterbacks would be taking a sack or throwing the ball away, he manages to find that little bit of space and make something big happen. You can see this is the, the Tony Romo 
that Jerry Jones has pretty much sat there and not allowed anyone to shift from his franchise. That you know, this is this is why for games like this. Yeah, agreed. And obviously, such a big game and against Seattle as well of all teams. So it's not like he was up against the Jaguars. He was doing this against the uh, defending Super Bowl champions. So we move on then to the Mister Award. And who have you got as your runner-up this week, Marcus? Uh, my runner-up this week is going to go to Rashad Johnson, free safety for Arizona Cardinals. Nice. Okay, and uh, fill us in as to why. Well, the reason why is because it was one of those games, again, where you, we didn't expect maybe Washington to compete so much. They've had a poor run of form. Arizona looking very strong. However, it did actually come down to the fact that they needed a defense to actually shut down some pretty decent drives by Washington. And this guy did it in droves because he had five tackles, two assists, two interceptions, one of them which he returned for a 28-yard touchdown. When you need someone to come in there and actually step up, when it looks like the other team's offense is putting pressure on the scoreboard, how about you turn that around and you alleviate that pressure by putting points on your scoreboard? So for me, the fact is that great individual effort coming off the fact that they needed it because it was a well-fought game and ultimately defense is going to win you those tight games. Okay, now for the Mr. Award, I'm actually going to give my winner now for two reasons. Uh, one being, I think he just played that incredibly well that I couldn't see myself mentioning anyone else. And the other reason may or may not be due to a small admin error on my part and not having a runner-up. You decide. Um, so, <laughs> my winner, therefore, this week is... JJ what? <laughs> it, it just it just had to be. I mean, I watched the highlights back again this evening before we recorded the show, and he's he's not called JJ Swat for, for no reason, is he? I mean, he had three pass deflections again this week. He had a fumble recovery for a touchdown. Not to mention he had uh, seven tackles, of which two were sacks. Also, so. At the moment, this guy is just absolutely everywhere uh, as far as defence is concerned. We said earlier, just a real freak of nature and just playing some of the, the best football of his life at the moment. And and bear in mind that he's still only, what I think he's in his, I want to say he's in his fourth year now. Oh yeah, he's not that far into his career, definitely not. So really, really showing just what an unbelievable athlete he is and... and uh, you would have to put him probably in the, one of the top five players in the league at the moment, in my humblest of opinions. And I may or may not want to apologise for having or having not a runner-up this week. But anyway, <laughs> Marcus, uh, your winner, please, for the Award. Well, I need to say no more because, of course, I too have gone for JJ Watt. There's, like you said, there's no other person who can really bring that sort of that impetus to a game that sort of the disruption he can create on a field. The fact is that even when, I mean, did you see the one where the sack threw the double team? Awesome. Yeah, he's just unbelievable. I mean, all you need to do, what we recommend, just go out there yourselves, uh, ladies and gents, and just go out there and just start watching some some JJ Watt highlights. Because if you've not seen the guy play before, 
honestly just just find his highlights out there on youtube and just you'll see how incredible this guy is Spanhead Productions are a small independent sound recording company based in rural Hertfordshire. We specialise in creating content for all your podcasting needs, whether it be field recordings, fox pops, or capturing the atmosphere during social events. Editing is a very time-consuming job, so Spanhead Productions are on hand to take away some of the burden for you. Just advise us on how you'd like your content to sound, and we will do the rest. We can even help you design and manage a website for your podcast too. Visit us now, spanheadproductions.com. Weebly.com. That's spamheadproductions.weebly.com. As you know, here on Spitball, what we like to try and do is bring you the better side of the NFL purely because this season we think there's been so much negative press around the league that we really are trying to bring the emphasis back onto firstly the the action on the field and remembering just how great the athleticism is in the NFL, uh, but not only that, taking a a look at the bigger picture and a look at what all of these players do outside of the league to um, to either help out in their local communities, um, whether it just be sort of spending time with, with different areas or if they have their own charitable organisations um, that we want to bring to your attention. So in the first time we did this, we brought to you uh, It's Aaron or Aaron Rodgers. Um, you'll see it in the show notes from a couple of weeks ago about um, his dedication outside of the uh, the league. And of course, uh, Brandon Marshall um, and his awareness campaign for, for mental illness. This week, I want to start off with one of Brandon Marshall's teammates, and that is Charles Tillman, uh, the cornerback for the Chicago Bears. Um, the reason I want to start with him is because he won a very, very prestigious award around the league last year in 2013. He actually won the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. Now, the Walter Payton uh, Man of the Year Award, for those new to the sport, is an award which is given annually by the National Football League um, and it honours a player's volunteer and charity work as well as his excellence on the field. Now, as I mentioned, last year, 2013, it was won by Charles Tillman for his work, in particularly for the Charles Tillman Cornerstone Foundation. And the mission of the Charles Tillman Cornerstone Foundation is to provide opportunities and resources to children or their families who are in need. Um, again, we're going to put a link to the website in the show notes. I'm going to give you a bit more information now as well. But please do go to the website and you'll be able to hear um, Charles Tillman's story. I'm also going to put his Walter Payton award or part of his speech into the the show notes as well which is is from his website now the foundation itself has many programs some of them are you have something called Charles's Locker and Charles's Locker is uh, designed to enrich the lives of chronically and critically ill children uh, by providing them and their families with access to technology such as iPads, notebook computers, DVD players, portable PlayStations and, and things of that sort of nature to pass the time during the recovery and treatment. Uh, back in December 2009, Two of Charles's lockers were launched at Anne and Robert H. Laurie Children's Hospital in Chicago, and they were expected to impact the lives of nearly 130,000 ill children each year. Um, since then, there has been a few more 
Charles's locker set up across local hospitals. Again, I will let you visit the webpage to, to check out more information on that. But he also has another program, which is called the Field of Dreams, and that provides chronically and critically ill children uh, and their families with magical memories um, by p- fulfilling sports-related wishes. So uh, very similar to the, the Make-A-Wish Foundation in, in that sense, but only more um, sport-related. Um, they have a holiday celebration program, which each December, Charles Tillman, um, his wife Jackie, and a few of Santa's elves visit Chicago area hospitals to pass out gifts, visit with their families, and partake in hospital activities such as bingo, just to bring them some form of a festive cheer. And um, being stuck in in hospital over that time period, um, and finally the last two. We have the Tend Her Heart Luncheon, which in each spring more than 150 mothers of critically and chronically ill children are invited to attend a special brunch honouring them for the sacrifices they make in caring for their ill child. And finally, we have the Tiana Fund, uh, which is a programme providing assistance to economically at-risk people and their families in need um, that will strengthen their ability to care for themselves, enhance their stability and security and improve their quality of life and their ability to contribute to their community. So again, um, please do go visit the website www.charlestillman.org and read up all about the the Charles Tillman Foundation and you can see all of the good um, that the foundation is bringing to the uh, communities in the Chicago area. Now, we also have another charity to bring you. Marcus, would you like to do the honours? I have Ed Reed's foundation here, also known as uh, uh, the Hurricane Foundation. And basically, it's, it's sort of his mission, as, as he sort of stipulated himself, that you know he's been blessed with many opportunities throughout his life and he just wants to give something back to, to the local communities that you know from uh, around baltimore of course big time uh raven so um, a lot of baltimore projects but also in new orleans course devastation there and it works from all things from working through local communities and, and sort of um housing benefits and, and stuff like this and sort of drives to try and help uh, the local communities access like youth programs and um opportunities for them there all the way up to sort of um, schools and and even giving up to the ability of uh, college scholarship for for potential students and really so there it's it's looking to help and improve and and bring something meaningful to um, possibly kids who who won't get a chance to um, access some of the other sort of stuff that you know he's been blessed uh, with like opportunities and and abilities and skills so um he's bringing that to to that and like I said uh, the Ed Reed Foundation. Uh, you can find them out eyeofthehurricanefoundation.org is the website definitely to come and check out they run events all through the year just to raise this sort of awareness and um, fundraise for all these greats of of programs and sort of projects that they're, they're, they're trying to get into it's, it's not really a sort of a media blown one it's more it even says um through ed reed himself he says that he prefers to fly into the radar because he just wants it to um help others for the sake of helping and that's really the the sense of giving that it actually actually has if you want to know any more definitely check out eye of the hurricane foundation.org for more details um, an absolute great project, great program, 
and um absolute great cause indeed and again a link to that is going to be in the the show notes as well to make that nice and easy for you to find um please do um go and check out these websites we can't emphasize enough just um the work that goes on outside of what you see on your tvs and outside of training that a lot of these players really are uh, family-based and really uh, use their uh, foundation in football to to give back to the local areas, either where they play or, or where they grew up or or areas of um, such devastation, like, uh, for example, along the Jersey Shoreline or, uh, as Marcus mentioned there, in, in New Orleans um, after the hurricane. So that's the last thing I'm going to say on that. Please do go to the show notes and check those out. What's up, big boy? <laughs> Nice job, way to get us over there, baby. Hey, uh, old school game. This is our game, right? This is our kind of game. Okay, well, that wraps it up for us this week. So apologies to all those out there who were maybe looking forward to our game previews and our... Maybe I can just cheekily squeeze in from Marcus uh, one game that he's really looking forward to seeing in week seven. Giants going to Dallas. Are Dallas really for real? Um, I think if we're going to see them as a playoff and further potential team, winning your division at home is where you start. Absolutely. And I think the other question we have to ask ourselves is, will the Giants actually come out and play this week or will Eli Manning manage to mug off Big Dog's fantasy football team again this week? So remember... Hey guys, if you want to get a hold of Audrey or Marcus, send them an email at ballhawksnest at gmail.com. Our podcasts are also downloadable now on iTunes and we also have our recent shows rebroadcast on the 1800 online network a link to which is at the side of the page so Marcus uh, it's been an absolute pleasure and uh, privilege sir fun as always (laughs) indeed indeed so until next time stay safe take care and thanks for stopping by (laughs) 